Hello to everyone tuning into the Highly Optimized Podcast today. My name is Ryan Sprague, and throughout this podcast, I will be showcasing conscious leaders who are living a life beat of their own drum, sharing their stories, and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control, what steps to take to create your own path, and how to maximize your ability to lead and manifest your dreams in this reality. I imagine that everyone tuning into this episode can relate to the notion that for many of us, we seemingly have many passions that might not feel as though they are connected. Yet, as we continue to move through our lives, the connections between them begin to become clearer. I know this has been my experience in being interested in psychology, spirituality, plant medicines, and health for most of my life. And it wasn't until I began Highly Optimized that I began to see the through line between each of them. Today's guest on the show is a man who shares in this notion of having many passions that may not seem to fit together if you looked at each of them independently. However, they actually fit together incredibly well when you look at them all from the unionized perspective that we will be diving into in today's episode. I first found out about this individual when I discovered his work in shamanism, specifically with ayahuasca and cannabis, and was blown away at how many synchronicities we shared, specifically in the ways in which we spoke about cannabis. And along with his work as a renowned master shaman, he is also a visionary leader, speaker, and author who is the founder of Blue Morpho and co-founder of Fullstock, Liquid Earth, and Landslide. For the immense amount of people who have benefited as a result of his immense wisdom in these areas, it is clear that he's a pioneer in Amazonian shamanism, Web3, and NFTs who is linking these realms together in a way that I have yet to come across anywhere else in my travels. So please put your hands together and help me in welcoming my brother, Hamilton Souther, to the show. Hamilton, what's up, man? Hey, Ryan, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome, man. You know, for everyone listening, I think I might have said this in the outro too, but I'm going to say it again because it's so worth repeating. When we connected, man, it was just like we picked up in a previous lifetime when we left off. I mean, it was literally effortless. And like I said in the intro, I mean, I was first brought to your work. Uh, not only through Aubrey, but also through cannabis and spirituality. And I did not link those things. Like I didn't recognize that the same Hamilton I was reading about in cannabis and spirituality was the same one that was so close to Aubrey, the one I had heard about in other areas with Blue Morpho, of course, me researching, you know, ayahuasca centers. And so it was a hilarious synchronicity when we hopped on and we started chatting about this stuff. And I realized like, oh, this is actually the same person in all those areas. So it's really cool to have you here, man. And, you know, it's just so amazing because, you know, for someone who is extremely skilled in the work of shamanism specifically, you know, you know how to laugh and take yourself not so seriously really well, which I find is a challenge in that realm sometimes, right? Like what I found is that with anyone that gets into anything really deep, right? A lot of the times they get very serious about it, but your ability to laugh and make light of these things while still bringing safety and professionalism to them, I think is just something that's really amazing. And, you know, I'd love to hear kind of like a a brief history of what got you into, you know, the things you're into now. I mean, shamanism being a big subject we'll talk about, but of course, Web3, NFTs, like what got you into this stuff, man? Yeah, I mean, dude, life. (laughs) Life got me into this more than anything, like all of us, you know, there's this itch and a calling and all of a sudden you're in it. The the thing that I always respected most about these experiences is that you can't go back out of them once you go into them. And so as soon as I, I, you know, tasted of the fountain of youth of of these mind altering experiences, it was like, oh, this is what I'm into. I mean, this was wild and, and amazing in so many ways. But it was really the spiritual awakening that I had in my early 20s that kicked it all off. So I had this spontaneous spiritual awakening that I've talked about on other podcasts. 
uh, it just redefined my life because my life before that wasn't spiritual at all. And so, you know, to go from no spirit to spirituality being this thing and then being guided and directed to the visionary plants, which just, you know, turn all the lights on and make it all real and, you know, basically immediately, you know, was just like a waterfall moment for me. And then really just everything was progressive after that. So, you know, it started with first being introduced to the plants and then apprenticeship and then apprenticeship led to a career in healing in the traditional arts in the Amazon. And then that led to developing Blue Morpho as a center. And then the biggest gift from Blue Morpho were the people that came to us from all over the world. And they came from all these different walks of life. And so, you know, it wasn't just one kind of person. It was literally all kinds of people were looking for these plants and we were providing a safe place for people to come and experience them before there was any kind of movement or any real interest in this. This was like a deep passion of mine. We were coming out of these ancient lineages that we had gotten involved with. And so as the people started to come, you know, they shared their life story with us in this way that if you've experienced plants over like a week long retreat or something, you know, like on day one, everyone's like a little edgy, but then by like day three, it's gone. Everyone is just open. They're transparent. They're sharing from the heart. There's all this intimacy and joy people are processing, but the bond formed between everybody is just incredible. And so through that bond, I met people that were interested in technology and they were trying to describe how technology was like ayahuasca and then you know there were these different movie series that everyone was in and we started to develop this culture around it and then you know the technology ended up being about the expansion of the internet and communication and we were trying to figure out telepathy and mass communication through consciousness itself as other people were figuring out internet and stuff like that and then that of course led to web3 and crypto and seriously, you know, OGs showed up at the lodge when crypto first happened. And so I knew some of the original people in crypto. One of our guests was a guy that was part of a group that developed the first Bitcoin wallet on a phone, like the first phone app for Bitcoin. So this was like 2010, 2011, 2012. Then Ethereum happened and we knew the Bitcoin people became Ethereum people. And, you know, that was like during its origination, 2013, 14, 15. And so, you know, that actually led to this idea of how can we use technology to further our message, further our purpose, you know, get the word out there about all of this. And um, yeah, that's the the long story of it. And so the final piece of the chapter was how do we, you know, bring NFTs into this to support creatives around the world and artists to be able to express themselves and create in all different ways that the world's economies need, because we saw so many creators being excluded from the world. Mm. So we thought the psychedelic plants were a source of creativity, they're a source of innovation, they're a source of knowledge and wisdom, and then there's just a fountain of creativity. And I, I had these visions and ceremony that there were for a multi-trillion dollar industry, which is based on creativity in the world, uh, there's actually more value in what is excluded from the industry than what's included. Mm. I think a good example of that's podcasts. Podcasts came out of nowhere and just you know, went huge in the scene. There's millions of them now. And so it just shows that there were these podcast creators, you know, before podcasting that wanted to do this. There just wasn't a venue for them. Right. And so that's what really just opened my eyes to this, that it's like, okay, we have to do something for the artists. We have to do something for the creators. And we, as, you know, practitioners, you know, we're called medical vegetalistas. We're called shamans. The idea was just share, like share this, this, this medicine and we saw ourselves as artists of that medicine 
And so we felt this kindred spirit and bond to the other artists. And so it's like, okay, we practice these healing arts. Other people practice martial arts. Other people create digital media arts. Other people create music. We're all in this together in different ways. So we got to find a way to truly bring it all together. And so that's where we brought in the shamanism with the spirituality, with the plants, with cannabis, with other kinds of visionary plants, you know, with technology, with crypto, with NFTs. And it just kind of all hodgepodge together into this, you know, what's now becoming a movement. It's so amazing, man. Like, I love hearing that because, of course, like, I've dove into your work. And when we chatted and connected uh, last week, you know, we chatted a little bit about crypto and NFTs, but seeing how it all fits together, you know, I've been getting very similar visions in a lot of my experiences. And we chatted briefly about, you know, my intro to crypto and NFTs and some projects that I have not started yet, but I have kind of like the idea of, if you will. And it's cool because, you know, I really think that what's happening right now is a big shakeup in society, you know, when it comes to the popularity in psychedelics, when it comes to the aftermath of the pandemic and people realizing like, oh, this job that I worked at actually doesn't give a shit about me. So why am I putting my whole life on hold to be here for it? Right. So like all of these kind of things are getting shaken up at the same time. I think many of us and I, I imagine all of us in some way, shape or form are starting to realize the benefit and the, the universal principle of being a human being and creating right? Like we're all creators, you know, we're creating, making machines. And so I think that like, there's so many different aspects to what creation looks like and what art looks like, you know, for a lot of people, they're like, oh, you know, I paint. So NFTs aren't art. It's like, well, it's actually the same thing just done in a different way. And it's actually like really cool because there's more differentiality and more individuation happening right now that I think is so powerful. And I think that you know, being able to speak to someone like yourself, who is so rooted in the ancient traditions, but is also perfectly integrating with all the new way of living. I think that's one of the best ways to move forward. Because I see like, you know, even with the classic argument of science and spirituality, the more that someone goes, no, it's science, or someone goes, no, it's spirituality, you know, instead of going, maybe it's both, or maybe it's neither, right? Like asking that further question, I think is what's so powerful right now that I see happening as a ripple effect in many different areas, is that people are starting to go, okay, what if this realm connects to this realm in a way that we never thought before? And so that's why I see this creation really starting uh, and, and continuing rather to blossom in today's world, which is really, really exciting. Yeah, I mean, the creativity, I think, is the source of where all of this comes from. And the ancient tradition showed me that just people were thinking about creative outside of the box ways of, of surviving and living and then created the traditions out of that. Right. So it was like discovery. Well, what's discovery? That's science. Science is discovery. It's like science is a method, which most people don't understand. They've turned <laughs> it into an institution and then in its own way, a religion. Uh, but it's a method. And so fundamentally, it's like, well, it's a great method, you know, come up with an idea, form a hypothesis, start to study it, test it, see if it's real or not, and let the results stand on their own. Well, that's shamanism. Shamanism is I'm in the jungle, I got a sick person here, it could be a baby, it could be someone who just had, you know, a canoe accident or something, or they were harvesting fruit, and you know, something happened to them. Well, they need help. So you know, how are you going to help them? There's no Western medicine. There's no pharmacies. There's no other doctors. There's literally nothing out there. So you're not going to let the person suffer. You're going to help them. So now you have to do, oh my God, science on them. You have to figure out, well, what's their diagnosis and what plants do they need? And you got to come up with this plan. And, and, you know, but the thing in the jungle is they don't just leave it there. It's not just mechanics and it's not just mechanical. It's like, but wait, this person has a spirit, their energy. The forest is energy. The forest has a spirit. It has a life force. We have to treat that too. 
Mm. right? It's not just one or the other. They're like, hey, you need these plants and these plants have chemicals in them that are very important for this person's healing. But this person's spirit, their actual soul is equally important to be healed. And then when I was in the jungle, one of my first discoveries was that they don't talk about anxiety, depression, or addiction. They don't have words for it. And I'm like, yeah, how do you guys not have words for this? Well, they don't create those problems in the first place because when the things happen that would create that problem, they intervene with plants. And people have visionary experiences and they unravel and unwind whatever the trauma was, they heal the spirit, and then they move on. So you have a guy who falls and dislocates his shoulder. They fix the shoulder with plants and poultices and, you know, kind of like sling that they wear for a period of time. And they put him into an ayahuasca ceremony <laughs> and they heal his spirit from, you know, whatever it could be, being scared of falling down a tree or however he got hurt in the first place. And so, yeah. you know, in all those ways, all these things blend together and they're not so separated. And I really love seeing sort of that Venn, infinite Venn diagram of the flower of life, bringing now everything together. And I think that's what globalization has done. That's what, you know, technology has done. And I think it's perfect. I think it's really actually beautiful evolution. Yeah, you know, I love seeing this kind of like returning to almost what the animists believed, right? The animists believed that everything was alive. Then we went into polytheism, then monotheism. Now we're currently in scientific materialism, starting to leave that and return to holism, as Bruce Lipton says in his new book, um, I think the theory of evolution or something like that. But, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, I've seen this a lot in the cannabis world, right? It's like, you know, originally it was, oh, we love cannabis, this full plant. Then it was like, okay, well, can we make hash out of it? Okay, cool, great. Still full spectrum, but stronger. Then it was like, well, what if we can isolate the intoxicating component of the plant? Well, in our elementary knowledge, we think, oh, that's only Delta 9 THC. So now you see this huge influx in people that are like only worried about Delta 9 THC. And so that's kind of the scientific materialism of like break something down into the individual constituents and stop the actual whatever it is, whether it be cannabis or yada, yada, whatever it is stop that from being able to be a full spectrum experience. And let's start figuring out what are the individual components that are responsible for the experience. Let's isolate those and essentially outlaw the natural and monopolize all the synthetic. And I think that's a big challenge with everything going on, right? When you look at Western medicine, you look at all these things, it's like, they're not actually going for the root problem. They're going or the root cause they're going for the symptoms. And I think that like, yeah. you know, everything has its basis, right? If you get in a horrible car accident, yeah, Western medicine is probably going to be able to help you. But I think there's like this big dark night of the soul and people realizing like, oh, actual healthcare is not synonymous with what Western medicine is. That's more like sick care. I now have a problem. Now let me go figure out what it is rather than, hey, what are the problems we can stop right now before they actually become a problem so that they never have to deal with that? And I think that the language thing you brought up is really interesting because you know, I've dove into this a lot in the language work I've done. And it's one of the ways in which I coach, which is like story work, language work, etc. And the English language has a really interesting number of words that are undesirable uh, in terms of states, right? So like, all these different words that essentially mean the same thing for anxiety, all these different words that essentially mean the same thing for depression. And so like it's in people's vocabulary, they're aware of it, and more attention goes energy flows. And so I think that's one of the coolest things that I'm glad you brought up that a lot of these indigenous cultures and ancient traditions, they don't have words for those things. And therefore, in many cases, these things don't exist, because they understand to actually after someone say dislocates their shoulder, hey, there's going to be a spiritual component to that, there's going to be a physical component, an emotional and a mental component. And if we actually tackle all of those, well, then that person is going to be actually healed in the totality right. of their being. And they're not going to fall into the, any of these challenges that we see in so much of society today. And I think it's one of the leading signs that a civilization is overly dominant in masculine energy, 
where they're like, okay, so we have all this technology that can link us through the world, but yet we still don't know how to cure depression, right? So it's like they almost have this insane skyscraper built on a very shaky foundation. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about bringing all this ancient wisdom back into the everyday life of most human beings is that we're starting to build a stronger foundation. And then from there, hey, let's go Web3, let's go NFTs, let's do all of this stuff and make sure the foundation is set for the stage to be able to build upon that. <laughs> yeah, but the foundation has been, you know, constantly being evolved and it's not there yet. I mean, mm -hmm. I like to think of us in terms of evolutionary principles and we're young. We're like babies in our own right and we're babies as a species in this universe. And then I think of the plants and of this desire we have to reduce everything to the simplest form of understanding. I don't see anything simple about evolution other than that it's all evolving. So, oh yeah, it's all evolving is pretty simple, but you get into how fast it evolves and the way it evolves and the way the compounds evolve. And then you see like mutations with viruses, how fast that happens on a global scale is crazy. So I look at these plants and I think, wait, these plants have been evolving for millions of years. There's probably a reason they have the different compounds they have and why, and they probably kind of work together. And it's not just which compound is the you know biggest compound or the most present compound. You see that in cannabis all the time, you know, around the terpenes and all of these different you know alkaloids that are in there that are just unknown. They, we don't even know the names, and they're not part of our our pop culture speech around the substances. But they're obviously important because if you strip them out of the experience, people don't have the same the same experience. If you strip it out of the medium or out of the cannabis, they don't have the same experience. And you put them all back in, and then they start talking about the healing that's happening. And then they start talking about the transformation that's happening. And then they start talking about how they can tap into the spirit of it. Mm. You know, and I loved when I asked you when we were talking privately, how you, if you mix the cannabis together and you're like, yeah, you take some indica sativas and the hybrids together because of that spectrum mm. that you get of all of the different molecules. And that's what we did when we were creating cannabis shamanism as well. We were creating blends and all the blends always had sativa, hybrid, and indica always. And we'd have different blends for different parts of the ceremony, different parts of the night. And at the end of the night, we maybe we had a little bit of 20 or 30 different strains or 30 or 40 different strains by the end of the night. And that was such a more robust experience. And so I think as we like dive in in this way, it's kind of infantile to try to you know isolate everything, although it's complex in chemistry and stuff. It's missing that evolutionary point that the plants evolved in the ways they did. We evolved with those plants. If you look at our, our you know, our archaeological uh, pharmacology, you see that going back in time, we were eating all the plants. We are the biggest self-experimenters there are. Humans <laughs> go around and pop everything in their mouth. Some people survive. Some people don't. You learn <laughs> along the way, right? And so we evolved with that. That's why we have all the receptors for all the different chemicals in our brains. It's because we evolved with it. And I think that's the next stage of this is bring the ancient knowledge together with the scientific knowledge, bring it all into one, right? And say, okay, all of this fits together. It's one big puzzle. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, there's a degree of humbleness missing from society right now, where essentially we're like, oh, plants. Yeah, we can figure that out. We went to the moon, right? So like, there's this degree of like humbleness is needed where it's like, hey, these have been evolving for millions of years. Maybe we're not smart enough to actually just think, oh, there's 12 different components of this plant. So if we break them down, we can replicate this synthetically and it's no big deal. Because I think that one of the biggest challenges is that because science and spirituality are still kind of at odds with one another in, in our modern day society, I think that like we're missing the spiritual aliveness component of these plants. Like there's something far past 
just the constituents of the plant that make up the totality of the experience. And it's funny because, you know, this is the concept of the entourage effect, right? That like, for one reason or another, we don't know exactly why, but when these things are conjoined together in the way that nature made them, they work better. And by better, I mean, they have better safety measures, right? Like, for instance, a classic one with uh, cannabis is that, you know, if you have a lot of THC, well, good luck. I mean, you're going to have a recipe for anxiety and paranoia. That's why we balance those high sativas out with a classic indica, because it has that CBD to negate a lot of those undesirable effects that THC can bring about. But what do we have? We have a bunch of people that have been trained to think that Delta 9 THC equals you're getting a better bang for your buck. So now all the strains are becoming super high in Delta 9 THC, very low in other constituents, while at the same time, research is showing that there's actually compounds like THCP that are actually much more intoxicating than Delta 9 THC that are found in a lot of equatorial sativas. And so if someone sees a, you know, such as like a bangy haze, right, that has like 10 or 12% Delta 9 THC, they'll probably laugh at it and not even give it a second glance. But that might have a certain amount of THCP in there that makes it stronger than any of these new frankenweeds that are up to 34, 35% Delta 9 THC. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, it's so funny, man. Like, that's where for me, I realized that I'm not here to know anything. I'm here to be a curious observer. And I love what you talked about, about, you know, humans being experimenters, right? I think like, you know, I always, I always share with people like, I'm here to be a button pusher, right? I hit buttons and I'm like, what happens if I hit these two buttons at the same time? I'm like, whoa, that was interesting. What happens if I hit three? Oh, that was a little too much. All right, I won't hit three again. You know, it's like, I'm here to just curiously observe and know that I'm not going to essentially know what's happening. I don't really care to know because to the degree that I try to know things, is the degree to which I I essentially lose mystery. And it's not that I'm actually losing mystery, but I'm in the I'm in the the belief that I'm losing the mystery because I think I know things. But I think that why children are so happy is because they're encapsulated into the mystery of what this experience we call life is. And I think that's one of the biggest thirst traps that we see society in is they're all so busy trying to know things. I was there too, so I get it. That's how I can spot it so easily because I have it too. And so like I think when we start interacting, at least for me, when I started interacting with these plants heavily, I got checked real quick and realized, well, I have no idea what that is. And so the best I can do is sing the song with them instead of trying to figure out why they're singing that song and be able to dance with them rather than try to figure out what the dance is. You know, I mean, it's been very powerful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that's one of the favorite things that I found when I went to the Amazon. I was in my early 20s. I had just graduated from college. So I was still in that time where you're, you know, really indoctrinated to institutional education. And I ended up with these guys in the forest and they didn't have like a chalkboard or a whiteboard or anything to point to or a graph or anything. They just had, you know, some mapacho, this bottle of ayahuasca, a leaf rattle that they called a shakapa. And they're just like, sit down, drink this, you know? And then they, they said, what, if you have questions, why don't you ask the plants? Mm. And I just like, what do you mean? <laughs> ask the plants. Like you can ask the plants. They're like, yeah, drink this tonight and ask the plants. I'm like, ask them what? They're like, ask them to teach you, you know, ask them to teach you. If you have questions, ask the plants. And then that started this give and take with the plants where I realized like the plants can actually teach us, you know, in real time, we can be in the visionary experience. They can impart their wisdom upon us and then they become the teachers for us. And so it isn't that thirst quest of knowledge of how do I get more and more and more, but it's like, wow, I'm sitting with a really old, amazing, really knowledgeable teacher here, you know, and that's when it really opened up for me when the plants became the true teachers. And I thought like they teach you directly in your experience and your visions and your mind. So it's not abstracted by language. It's literal realizations that come through or downloads in real time. And that experience is just mind blowing. And so to me, that was such a, a you know, eye opener that like these guys that you would want to revere 
are really telling you, hey, it's in the plants, go to the plants, you know, and it's literally as simple as make a tea or smoke this or, you know, add this to the tobacco and smoke that and poof, and all of a sudden, the you know, the learning's on. Yeah, you know, it's so fascinating, man. And, you know, it's, it's so funny, too, because what I found is that because we're in such a left brain dominant society now, this sounds so wild, but this is not a new thing. This is actually much more of a coming back to than a discovery, right? Like it's more of like how ancient civilizations for millennia have interacted in daily life. Like they're living from this right brain experiential way of living where for them, they're like, yeah, of course, talk to the plants. Like, why would you talk to me about it? You know, like where for us, it's like, what do you mean? Talk to the plants. I have to talk to another human being to gain knowledge because it's like very logical and very based on reasoning, which is fantastic, right? Like, you know, the left brain is not the enemy by any means. It's just that I feel as though it's almost like when you see that guy that skipped leg day, right? Like that's kind of like how we are with our brain versus like the left brain versus the right brain, right? It's like the left brain is just jacked beyond belief and the right brain's got chicken legs, you know? <laughs> no, no, totally. Totally. And I experienced that when I got to Cusco, when I was first down in Peru, I was hanging out with a shaman and he's like, hey, stand on this rock and just meditate. And so I stood on the rock and I meditated and I'm like, dude, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden I was in this vision that I was on the African plains, you know, what we would call now the African plains. I saw the African animals go by. And he's like, okay, go stand on that rock. And I go stand on this other rock. And all of a sudden, I'm in outer space, right? I'm just completely in outer space. I'm like, well, why am I in outer space? And so I come out of the vision. And he goes, that one takes you to Africa. That one goes to outer space. And he points to him like, boy, what are you talking about? And, you know, and then we go to this other temple. And they have carvings of elephants, like these massive carvings of elephants in the temples themselves. And, you know, archaeologically, these are separated continents. The people there should not you know, have known of the other people. And instead it was like, they're totally open. That idea of that right brain openness and being able to, you know, see and vision, learn and vision, understand and vision. And that that really was going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Whereas this idea of Western education and the left brain dominance is really only a couple hundred years old. Yeah. You know, I think that's a big point that, you know, again, because our lifetimes, at least in this one meat suit, are only 100, maybe 150 years if we're lucky. Who knows? Maybe the 150 person has already been born. You know, we get this idea, or at least for me, I got this idea for a long time. of like, oh, this is the way things have always been. And when you actually look back, you're like, oh, shit, this is like uh, not even a full blink of an eye in terms of how long we've been here and how long we've been operating in life in this way. And I'm curious for you, this is something that I didn't plan to ask, but based on that, you know, I've been watching a lot of ancient civilizations on Gaia and a lot of like, I forget the exact megalithic structure, but essentially I think it was in, I think it actually might've been around Peru actually. So this might actually work out perfectly based on your experience, but they had these doorways that essentially they could connect different dimensions to. Have you had any experience like that? I mean, what you just described sounded very much like that, which is why I wanted to mention it. Like, have you had any experience with you know, kind of like the missing links of how these individuals were able to essentially, I don't know if you call it astral travel or be able to enter these different dimensions. Like, is there anything you've learned that kind of like lays that process out a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, yes. You know, what we're describing is fundamental to what they call stone shamanism in the Andes mm -hmm. and different stones take you to different places and they are portals. They're considered <laughs> portals. So you're looking at a thing and that's a stone and to the naked eye, that's a stone. And, you know, the other guy's like, hey, that's a portal. It's been there for thousands of years. And other people are looking at him like, he's the crazy guy, right? It's really like, no, he's the guy who knows what's going on and everyone else is in disbelief. Yeah. And you go and you touch the portal and something happens. And you can be stone cold sober 
whatever. But if you know, if you're in a San Pedro journey, it might be even you know more technicolor. But something happens, and it is a dimensional gateway. It literally is. It'll take you somewhere. You know, there, we have coined phrases for this, like astral travel or higher dimensional realities or some other place in you know Earth. But yes, you go somewhere else for sure. And you know, ayahuasca as a plant medicine is what we consider to be in like an infinite portal. Like mm. when you know how to work with it, it can take you literally anywhere. Mm. And so uh, you learn to open those portals with ayahuasca. Then you can go into the astral. Then you can go, you know, see a friend back home in ceremony. And the next day you can call them up and be like, hey, last night at such and such time, you were, you know, in bed with these color sheets, you know, like you're there for real. You're seeing it. As space time becomes this pliable medium. It's like Play-Doh. It's, mm. it's this thing that just pulls apart and you can, the consciousness project pretty much anywhere you, you need to or want to go. Um, there are certain places that are kind of more difficult to get to for some reason, which I don't really have an answer for why. But yeah, I mean, the stone shamanism and those gateways, because you see it in temples, they're like, it's like there's a gateway cut out and then there's just, you know, stone. It's like bas relief. It's like, why? Why didn't they keep carving it out? It's like, no, that is a gateway, but not for your body to go through. That's a gateway for your consciousness to go through. Your body yeah. stays at the doorway. Your consciousness goes. You'll have a visionary experience going through that gateway. You'll come back to body and then you'll be able to talk about it. It's so amazing because, you know, in the in the episode I was watching, they were talking about, I think it was like when the conquistadors or someone was coming to essentially pillage their village, the last gentleman there the conquistadors literally saw him walk up to this rock and disappear. And so like, it's so fascinating. I mean, who knows if that was like more of a metaphor? Cause again, it was probably written in a more right brain dominant society. So again, like we have to dive into that and figure out if it was a metaphor or something like that. But you know, I've had very interesting experiences specifically with stones in my plant medicine experiences. And so it's really interesting you bring that up because I've had no way to explain them and I knew it really didn't matter. I had the experience. So why do I really need to explain it? But, you know, I think that like, you know, these kind of things are so powerful. And, you know, one of the things that's really cool, too, is that, you know, I think for a lot of us that are looking to create that a lot of us that are listening, that are looking to, you know, be able to connect to these other, you know, aspects of ourselves to be able to like, you know, find our mission in life or our purpose or whatever, these kind of doorways can be extremely helpful. Because if you're using the left brain to try to figure out logically what you want to do with your life, well, it's going to be based on logic and reasoning which a lot of the times is why people end up making a lot of money, but they like hate their life, right? Because they're like, this is not heart centered whatsoever or aligned with me. And I'm curious for you, like, you know, with Web3, with NFTs, with all these things, you know, did you start experiencing visions of these things? I know you were talking with other people who were very technologically advanced that were coming to your centers and things like that. But did, when did you start having visions about that? Or have you? And if so, when did you start having visions about that? Yeah, yeah. Right before that, I'll go back to the guy in the Conquistadorian mythology. Yeah. Uh, so I was actually in a uh, San Pedro ceremony once at one of those gateways. And I was watching another participant in that ceremony at the gateway. And their body started to look like you could see right through it. <laughs> so they kind of were dematerializing and rematerializing. And I couldn't tell if it was the San Pedro or it was really happening or whatever. So <laughs> I know that it is possible that somebody could literally just vanish, mm. you know, like literally go through the stone. I've kind of seen it. And then there's mythology in the Amazon about people who've walked into trees. Mm. And they've just been swallowed by the tree or people that have walked into the water and come out like three, four, five days later from the water. And so wow. people thought they had drowned or whatever, and they actually just disappeared and they call them water shamans. So 
I've, you know, I have seen stuff like that. And, um, you know, I just think of it, that's really pushing the further frontiers of what we know and what we really tap into. And I'm glad that there's the stories and the mythology to let us know that there's something to awaken there and learn more about, you know, mm. um, in terms of visions and stuff, I started to see visions of this, this bringing together of what we think of as physics and uh, religion and spirituality and technology and mathematics and chemistry and big pharma and like all this stuff all into one, probably like 2006 to 2007. Mm. I started to see it like really happening, but still more like ever everything was separate in its own constellation. But like these things were converging upon each other in different ways. By 2015, I started to really see how technology was starting to affect the economy and, and how digitization was really going to be implemented in every possible way mm. that it could. That then led to visions of both the need for the ancestral to prepare for the coming of the digital age, because that was a new form of linguistics. It's like an omni Rosetta Stone. You can use digital to mimic any and all other kinds of languages. So the coming together of that with this, you know, advent of kind of, you know, new money technology concepts, they were really etheric and out there for me at that time. I knew they were important. And I was waiting to see, like, is this going to be shut down? You know, what's going to really happen with this? And then there was this moment when I saw, like, basically the main global economic leaders of the world all come out and say that this was going to be part of our financial future. So when that happened, I started to then really have visions about, and focused more on it as well, but really started to have visions about how these technologies were going to ultimately become part of what I just called consciousness technology. Mm. So the the this expansion of consciousness tech which is, you know, this mind share, the collective consciousness that, you know, Jung talked about really becoming real, tapping into it, understanding it as community, you know, is, is like taking ayahuasca visions and the telepathy that people share in there and the hundred monkeys concept and bringing it all together and why multiple scientific theories are discovered in different parts of the planet at the same time and bringing all of that together around this idea that the next big evolution was going to be consciousness tech. And I wanted to be in that space. And so it was time to embrace it all and try and learn about as much as I could. I love that because I think for a lot of people, I've been in the wavelength of a lot of people that are like, oh, we can't allow this to happen. And it's like, well, listen, it's happening regardless. The best thing we can do is make sure the right people are players in it. So this is done the correct way. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that people go through is like they try to stop things. But like you said at the beginning of this episode, once Pandora's box is opened, it's not getting closed again, right? The best we can do is try to provide guidance and, you know, have responsibility within making these new things a thing. You know, what you were talking about, about the hundredth monkey effect is why I'm so passionately interested in what Rupert Sheldrake brought forth with the morphic resonance field, because I think that like, this is exactly what that hundredth monkey is synonymous with for me, you know, with like these, you know, essentially that we're all tapping into the same field of consciousness. And so like my you know, belief around this is like, if I all of a sudden have an idea pop into the mail slot, I better take action on it quick, because it probably just popped into a million other people's mail slot too. <laughs> you know, and I think it's so interesting that if I think of us as vibrational beings, then if we're resonating to a certain level, we get access to certain information. And I think that like, when you look at the scope of human beings, right, like you can see that certain people, if they're resonating at a level that if like you look into David Hawkins work in power versus force, this level of consciousness that is more around like shame, guilt, apathy, 
Well, and they're bringing in people, places, and things and opportunities based on that vibrational resonance. And I think that as you continue to like, you know, up-level your consciousness, whether it be through plants, whether it be through meditating, self-development, exercise, whatever it is, when you start raising your vibration, the messages you start receiving change. And I think that like, we're starting to see like, this kind of like after the global dark night of the soul had happened after the last three years of the pandemic, I think a lot of people said, fuck it, surrendered and became more humble and started actually like doing whatever it was for them that was coming intuitively for them to start raising their frequency. They might not have described it that way, but that's what's happening as I see it. And I think that like, that's why now, especially after the pandemic, I'm seeing just so much cool stuff happen. It's almost like what happens when an area of the forest that's overrun burns down and all of a sudden all the new life starts coming back and you're like, wow, this area is so amazing now. It's all fresh and new. That's kind of what it feels like just happened in society as a large. (laughs) I think that's one of the, you know, I was talking to a friend about this, about evolution and social pressures on evolution. And I think COVID did that. I think the lockdowns of COVID is an unprecedented event in human history. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden people were the mind and the mind was life and they're in these boxes that they built and paid a lot of money for and they're living in them and they're stuck in them and it's not the routine and the flow and the distraction and no they're there and then well what do they start doing well they started to engage technology more and they started to engage streaming more and they started to engage connecting with others in different ways more and they had to start getting more creative then you naturally in that space start to get more into your imagination anyway you can't just stay in that nine to five drilling mindset if you take all of the little activities away, right? And I saw people start to go crazy as they were losing their activities. You know, that's like, oh, I go in the same mindset to the gym and then I go from the gym to the same mindset, you know, on a walk. And then I go from the walk to home and I prepare my food in the same way. And then I, you know, call my family while I'm preparing the food, et cetera, just boom, boom, boom thing. All of a sudden, wait, there's more going on. I think during that time, you know, the imagination went wild and had a new awakening and What's coming next is going to be the fulfillment of lots of those ideas that were shared during that time. You know, what I've found about masculine and feminine is like masculine builds structure, right? Along with many other things, but to focus on the structure part, masculine builds structure, which is fantastic. But the feminine is there to help us tear down some of our structure to build back anew and to make sure that we're not building structure that's completely useless. And I think that what the pandemic was, was actually the full on feminine experience of pulling down all the structure and helping us realize like, well, hey, if you're not, you know, the CEO, or you're not like owning a business, or you're not, you know, the person who's at the gym every day, or any of these things, who are you? Right. And I think a lot of people were like, Oh, shit, I don't actually know if I like what I am without all of those identities. And so it it gave people an opportunity to almost have a near death experience, because that's what happens in NDEs a lot, right? People see like, you know, kind of what the bigger picture is. And they come back like, I don't want to fucking do these things I'm doing anymore because this actually is in alignment with me. So I think people, it was almost like a near-death experience in a lot of ways. Maybe Dark Knight of the Soul is synonymous with that. But like a lot of people came back like, hey, you know what? I'm actually really excited to reinvent myself. And I see those two groups, you know, and there might be a multitude of groups, but I see overall that with the clients I work with, there are two types of people then in regards to what they see the pandemic is. Like one group that's like, yes, it was challenging but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And the other group that was like, yes, it was challenging and it ruined me. And I think that like, we're seeing that happen right now. And that divide happen a lot where a lot of people on both sides are attacking each other. And what my mission is, is being like, Hey, I know it might seem fun to attack the other side and be like, Oh, these people are sheep or all these people are completely conspiracy theorists. But what if you guys actually got together and started having conversations? Because I think that's what was shown to us in this is that we actually don't know anything. So if we actually start talking to each other, we might actually start realizing, oh, wait, you're a human being too. 
even though you have a different color skin or you're a different age or you're a different gender, or maybe you don't even want to have a gender, we're actually all human beings here. And so we can actually all have that universal principle of what human beings are. We're all having a human shared experience. You know, and I think that at the end of the day, it allowed us to see that we are meant to be human beings, not human doings. And when we, you know, uh, tally our worth based on our doings, I mean, essentially, we're always going to be seeking. And there's no problem with seeking. But I think that if you don't have a balance between seeking and then integrating and being, then I think that you just become a human doing. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing that really, I think, was a shared collective psychedelic experience with no plants necessary, you know, is what we went through the last three years. And so I was very grateful that I've had so many psychedelic experiences because, you know, what it really felt like was like, oh, we're on the come up right now, but just with like 7 billion people. You know, so the energy was hilarious because, <laughs> you know, even with 12 people in a ceremony, the come up phase can be really interesting. I'll always oh, remember yeah. Aubrey's story of his first ayahuasca experience where, you know, one lady's yelling, I can't tell if I shit my pants or I didn't shit my pants. He's getting puked <laughs> on by someone else, like just like hysteria. But it's really fun, too, in a lot of ways. Right. When you're in that moment. And so like, but it's all in how you are able to ride that wave. If you try to fight it, that's where it gets scary. And it's very similar. Like, that's why I felt like psychedelics were really a training ground for me moving through that pandemic period because I realized I'm like, okay, just surrender into it. There's nothing I can do to change it right now. What can I learn from this? You know, show me, help me, teach me, and just keep me going. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea too, though, about bringing the polar opposites in for a conversation. Like, why not do the mind share? And we've yeah. been taught now, it's crazy, I think, like in the last 30 years to create more polarity between everybody and make it more binary. And in the last 30 years to do that, it's like, didn't we learn from World War II? <laughs> Didn't we learn from our basic yeah. history, guys? Like, come on, dude. We need, we're human beings, not human doings, like you're saying. We need the mind share. It's okay to have a different perspective. We don't have to fight over that. Like, you guys think this way about it. You're probably right. You guys think this way about it. You're also probably right, but probably not 100% right about everything. Yes. Right. And like, the only way you can get through all of that is to actually listen to other people and hear different points of view and understand that that's what we're expressing or points of view. We're expressing ideas in this prismatic, fractaling reality where, you know, we can see just a tiny little bit of it and we're trying to grasp a little bit more about what's going on. We've been taught to just sum up everything so easily and be like, oh, it's that box. Oh, that's that. That box is good. That box is bad. It's dude, it, nothing about life is that simple, literally nothing. And, you know, when you get into the psychedelic plants, you start to see that immediately. It's like, whoa, I didn't see it from like a thousand different angles. You know, like when you have those visions of like just millions of eyes and they're all seeing something different all at the same time, you're like, oh, I want to tap into that. I want to see like the compound eye concept, like, you know, how insects see. I need to see yeah. this from lots of angles and not just get in this polarity. So I love that idea of inviting them to come in and talk and into the mind share because that's what we need. The polarity is what's driving this thing insane. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think that, you know, in a funny way, I think this is what cannabis is so good at doing, right? You get a couple of people that disagree together to smoke a joint and all of a sudden they're like, you know, we're actually kind of saying the same thing, you know? And it's like, oh, <laughs> how about that, right? Because again, it's like, I think people don't know what they don't know, but yet they think they know it. So at the end of the day, they're not aware that we have an ego. We have these different components of us mm. that essentially we are like who we truly are is deeper than all of those components. Yet we live with all of those components. So if we're not actually having the awareness exercises, whether it's through meditating, plants, whatever it is, to be able to actually ensure that each day we are coming at our life 
from the head of the dinner table, not a seat at the dinner table, essentially like identifying with the self or the soul, not the ego or the shadow or the inner critic or whatever other aspect of you is in there, you know, talking to you. I think that that's where people are really stuck right now is they're just stuck in the matrix of like thinking that they are that voice. So every thought that comes up, they have to act on that's them. When in reality, Mm. it's not them, you know, it's an aspect of them. And it probably learned to do that from their parents, from society, from teachers, from whoever. But now as an adult, they get to go in there and go, okay, do I actually like how this voice is operating? It's almost like if you have a child that starts lashing out, you don't just go punish the child, right? If you really want to figure out what's going on, you start talking to the child and go, hey, where did you learn this stuff? And what you'll probably figure out is like, well, I learned it from you. Well, how the hell did you learn that from me? I never told you it. Well, I watched the way you interact with others. And so it's like, oh. And so I think a lot of people are, you know, also not seeing the fact that like, you know, where attention goes, energy flows. And so if you're seeing life present itself in a certain way, it's probably because you're creating that in a lot of way. And I think that radical ownership is kind of like a second or third step to what we're chatting about that, you know, it's, it can sting. I mean, like realizing that everything in your life is in some way, shape or form as a result of what vibrational energy you're attached to, to say it spiritually, or just essentially like, you know, what you're made up of in terms of life experience can be challenging, but it's only challenging if you don't know the other side of it. And the other side of it is that, yes, it is all technically your fault. But also, if it's all because of you, then guess what you can also do? Change it all. And it only starts and ends with you. And I think that's like the big opportunity I see right now in society is that, you know, we've put the pain onto Big Farm. We put the pain into all these individuals without being like, you know what? If I don't believe in getting a certain thing, right, wink, wink, then I just don't need to get it. And if that person believes in a certain thing and they want to get it, awesome. And I don't have to cut them out of my life because someone on the news told me that if I they don't get that thing, that I have to cut them out of my life. I get to make my own decisions here. And I get to like, you know, value that person based on their worth. Do I like that person in my life? Do I love that person? And if so, hey, I want to figure out what led you to get that thing. What led you to not get that thing? Doesn't mean I need to take on why you got it and be like, oh, now I need to do it. But I'm just curious to know. The example I always give is like, you know, I see so many people on Facebook arguing back and forth about the stupidest shit, right? Like if you go on like a flat earth group, right? There are people spending hours of their day arguing back and forth on whether the earth is flat or the earth is round. Now, at the end of the day, regardless of what you believe, the fuck does it really matter? You know, so long as someone isn't trying to like inject everyone into space because they think the earth is flat or whatever, what does it really matter? Yet everyone is on there wasting valuable energy, at least in my perspective, wasting valuable energy, trying to like prove one person right and one person wrong. When at the end of the day, I haven't been outer space. I have no idea what the earth is. I'm not a flat earther. Don't worry, guys. But at the same time, it's like, how do I really know? So if I believe the earth is round, well, from that belief system, I can hear someone else's perspective and go, huh, that's cool. I still choose to believe the earth is round, but hey, more power to you. High five. I'm glad that you believe something that helps your life be more great and grand in nature. And I think that the more we can get to that kind of point with everything in life, the better we're going to be. And I do think that cannabis is the plant teacher for that specific lesson because, you know, with, uh, I haven't done ayahuasca yet. That's going to be uh, forthcoming with you. But, you know, I think with my heavy psilocybin doses that I've done and LSD and peyote and 5-MeO, I mean, it's really hard to have a conversation when you're really deep in that, except for with yourself, you know, with your soul. But like in terms of having conversations with other people, cannabis is really easy to be able to do that with once you get a little bit of a handle with it. And I think that like that, I mean, you know, the classic example, how many people do you know that smoke a joint want to argue with someone? It just doesn't happen. You know, like it's very rare. (laughs) And so I really think that's a cool plant medicine for this uh, specific mission. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I love the idea of that, you know, radical self-responsibility to say, look, I'm co-creating or I am creator of most of what's going on. Yeah, I received some of it at the same time, but I'm responsible for everything going on inside of me and all of the decisions that I make. I really like that idea then to see that that is the liberation to then be able to change and be able to make change. And then you can start with just intention to change. You can say, yeah, I'm totally open for that. I'm ready for change. And then as soon as you do that, you can start to ask yourself, well, what tools are here around me for change? And that's what I love about the plants because the plants are such givers. They're not holding back from you the nature of the change. They're like, are you ready for this change? If you are, it'll happen because you're going to create it. You're going to co-create it with the plant itself. And then they're going to give you that piece. And then you can work on that and you know improve that part of your life. And then they'll give you the next piece as soon as you're ready for it. And I see that the plants are always there to be able to support and give in that way. And they can help you own the parts that are shadow and they can help you own the parts that are ego. I never thought those were bad parts. In ayahuasca shamanism, you had to show up and with all of you. And there was a role and a purpose for all of you. The ego had a role, the shadow had a role, every single part of you had a role, but each part of you had to be trained so mm -hmm. that you could fulfill the role within the plants to be able to engage with the people that you were there to support and help. And so I thought that was actually you know, really important. I realized without ego in an ayahuasca ceremony, you can't actually steer the ayahuasca ceremony. You literally don't have the focus consciousness to know where to go. So you let other people transcend that part, but you have to actually train that part to just be calm and centered and actually really nice instead of an ego that's like, you know, quote unquote, the quintessential, like egotistical expression of it. It's actually like, no, I'm okay. Are you there? Yeah, I am. Is that my ego? Yeah, that's my ego. It's pretty basic. It's not even that exciting. <laughs> it's, not, it's not bad at all. And then Pull all those labels off of it, like the shadow being a bad thing. The shadow's there because of our own experiences and the awakening that we're going through in our consciousness. It's not a bad thing at all. It's like, do you have some things that you're unbelievably good at? Yeah, those are your amazing talents. Do you have some things that are just really hard for you? Yeah, they're in your shadow. You know, and then you can go in there and just unpack that thing. And people are like, oh my God, I'm doing the shadow work. It's like, dude, let's just unpack it. Like origami, <laughs> let's just unfold that thing. And at the end, write yourself a love letter when you're done unpacking that thing. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. you know, you'll feel so much better for it. You know, it's funny because what I'm hearing is it's like, so wait, Hamilton, you're telling me that instead of telling myself that the ego or the shadow are bad, what it really takes is unity between those aspects of me to find totality in my experience and a healthy experience. It sounds very similar yes to what we're talking about about humanity right now that there is no enemy right except for the one that we exactly. make in our heads and the one that we make in our minds and i think that the more we can understand that literally as within so without right we're all in this inner battle and the more that we yeah. join all of these aspects of us together and see them as all parts of our wholeness we'll start looking at the world that way too we don't have to worry about fixing the world around us we only have to focus on ourselves. And this is what Ramdas said when he said the best thing i can do for me is work on me the best thing i can do for you is work on me and I think that, mm -hmm. you know, that's one of the thirst traps uh, that is currently in society right now with the media and everything of like, you have to go out and fix the world. And it's like, well, I get that, right? It sounds great in theory, but if you're not actually fixing yourself, well, the world around you is never going to look healed. And so you're always going to be working and doing and pouring from an empty cup and being that wounded healer. When I think at the end of the day, you know, like you were saying, joining these aspects of you together, that's why I've never been... Uh, proponent of this whole kill your ego thing. I think it's a stupid way of looking at it. We're essentially like, you want to have a challenging experience. Tell yourself before you go into a medicine ceremony that you're going to kill your ego. Yeah, have fun with that. One. <laughs> you know, it's like that well, is going to be saying that. 
I do saying kill your ego. That's the ego. Like, how are you going to unpack? That's the snake eating its tail in Eastern philosophy. Like, good luck. (laughs) Good luck. You're going to kill your ego. You're not going to kill your ego. Yeah. And then the next day when you say, I killed my ego, who's talking? The ego. (laughs) That's an ego trick. That's an ego trick. You know, it's so funny too, because I remember the mushroom experience where I was already integrating this really well. I knew I'm like, I'm not trying to kill my ego, but I made the intention. I had like a small mushroom dose, two and a half grams, something like that. And I was like, I want to meet my ego. I just want to meet it and hang out with it. And I remember seeing it. I was laying in the yard in Austin at this retreat and I just, I saw it. And it was this like megalithic stone structure, like this mountain, like this all jagged edged mountain and whatever. And it was so precise at looking out for me that I felt this immense amount of gratitude because I had never realized how much it was looking to keep me safe and how much I had programmed it to be doing the things it was doing. And so if I was angry with it or something, it was only me that I looked back to and not in like a what was me type way, but like an opportunity way of like or an opportunistic way of being like, hey, if I programmed this and I don't like the way it's acting in a certain way. Well, then, hey, I just get to reprogram it in a new way and have a conversation with it and be like, hey, I know that mom or dad or someone like this, you might have seen this happen. But you know what? We could actually even have a cooler experience of life. We do it this way. And the ego's like, did you say cooler? And I'm like, yeah, you're going to look cooler. And it's like, I'm in. Right. And so, like, it's really fun to have these conversations. You know, it's like, you know, I think that was one of the biggest like awareness that was gained to me in these experiences was how much fun it is to talk to these parts that are perceived as negative. And again, they're only perceived as negative because we've been told by other people are negative. A lot of times, and I think this is a real pandemic happening in the society right now, or an epidemic, if you will, is that people are not really living their own lives. They're living what other people have told them about life. And so therefore, they're living an amalgamation of what other people have told them is true and not true about life. And I think that like, you know, when you hear this cliche term of waking up, I think what that really means is like you're actually starting to make your own rules for life. You're starting to pave your own path in life, whatever that is, whether it's going to be the Fortune 500 person or selling hot dogs on the beach. You're doing it because it's real for you and it's what is coming through your heart. And I think the more we can do that, the more that all of us will be coming from a more holistic point of view. And we won't be so worried about beating the person down next to us. We'll be more willing to help them up and give them a hand and talk with them and sit with them. I mean, this is how indigenous cultures did it for years. That's why coaching to me is hilarious. Like I'm a coach, right? But I don't think it's something new and amazing. Like, oh my God, coaching, this thing came out of nowhere. It's like, no, it's actually the most human nature thing for humans to do is to help one another feel more safe and excited about their experience of life. Like, I think it's like a really interesting point where we think like coaching is like this totally new age, like monumentally shifting thing. It's like, that shows us how far away from human nature we really got that we think it's that yeah. wild, you know, cause this is just very natural. And that's what I tell everyone that's looking to be a coach that works with me. I'm like, guys, you know, rather than going out and thinking you have to do 10 certifications, Hey, that's great. If you're really interested about learning a certain thing, go out and do it. But don't think you need 10 certifications to start coaching, right? Get a little bit of it and start practicing with your friends. And then when you feel like you've got a good idea of it, start, you know, practicing with clients and see what happens, right? And it's an ever evolving process. But I think that the more that we think we need to go get these certifications or degrees or whatever, the more that we're just infusing other people's ways of living into us. And if we don't give ourselves time to actually step back and go, okay, I learned that thing. What do I like about it? How can I make that my own? You know, I think that's the component that, um, you know, I know I was missing for a long time. And I think that many people listening might be missing as well. So it's really cool, man. (laughs) No, for sure. I mean, the thing in shamanism is that you learn experientially. 
And that's the part that I think is just super missing from, you know, the Western idea of learning. And so, yeah, you can learn something, you can get your certificate, but you have to practice. And when you practice, as you're practicing, that's the natural time when that you get better at whatever you're doing. It's also the time that you receive mentorship from mm. outside sources and help. And that that is actually how we learn. It's not an isolated process where you're just sitting in a classroom, you know, with other people, but in essence, by yourself. It's actually a collective process where you mentor others and you're mentored and you coach and you support. And that that I think is the really the old school way of learning, not the the new school way. We're just reawakening once again to the again this idea of bringing the ancient back into the modern with all the modern tech and all the accoutrements. It just makes it better. Yeah, this is why I love the Karate Kid because for most of us who saw the Karate Kid, we know about Mr. Miyagi. That's essentially what we're missing in society is a lot of these wise elders. We have lots of elders, but not too many wise elders. And I think that the more of us that are going out and following our own path, you know, and learning from the wise elders that are out there. Well, we're going to be the wise elders for the next generation to be able to learn these things. And I think that, you know, I'm not one to say that, you know, oh, college is a ripoff or anything like that. But I think there's just much, many more ways to essentially skin this cat of evolution than we've been given. And I think having these broader ways, like for someone, they might like college, for someone, they might like having a mentor, for someone, they might like having a coach. You know, I think when it comes to eating, right, what's better, getting force fed a meal that you don't know if you're going to like or having a buffet to pick from. And I think that once again, it comes full circle because it comes back to this idea of full spectrum, right? The entourage effect. When you have everything together, when you have chicken and green beans and potatoes and everything to pick from, well, then you get to actually make your own plate. And from that plate, you get to enjoy your meal the most because you made it. And I think that's really cool, man. And Hamilton, I can't believe an hour has already flown by, man. I feel like I just literally, I mean, that just flew by for me. I want to make sure that I give you an ample opportunity to share with people where they can find you, you know, where they can find out more about Blue Morpho. Tell the people where they can find you, man. Sure. Yeah. You can find us at bluemorphotours.com. So really simple, bluemorphotours.com. And you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram under Hamilton Souther. And Beautiful. I'd love to connect with you and come and see us. And we're going to be in the Amazon all this year and next year having retreats. And we're beyond COVID now. So hallelujah, we can, you know, have an amazing time again and sharing these, these experiences. And, you know, just you're welcome. So you're welcome to our community. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you, Ryan. I really appreciate this opportunity. Hell yeah, man. And guys, I will be going down there, I believe, in January. So if you want to come, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'm really excited for it. And Hamilton, I got one last question for you, man. And that is this. If someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Hamilton Souther suggest that change be? Really good question. <laughs> to be the most optimized is to open yourself up to optimization itself. You got to be open and flexible and creative. And that's how to live the most optimized life. You set that intention first from the heart. You really own it. And then you go for it. And it's incremental. It's little by little. And you know you're getting there all the time. And just own that intention and optimize every aspect of your life as you can. Mm, I love that. Okay, guys. When Hamilton reached out to me and we connected, it felt as though, like I said before, that we had already known each other for thousands of years and picked up right where we had left off in our last lifetime. Hamilton is truly a master of many crafts. And for me, the telltale sign of a true master is not only in the immense amount of knowledge and wisdom they hold within them, but also within how humble they are and how well acquainted they are with laughter. And if it wasn't already perfectly clear after this deep dive we just went on in this episode, Hamilton embodies both of those qualities alongside his immense knowledge and wisdom. For any of you who are interested in connecting with him, 
To find out more about how you can have him lead a ceremony for you at Blur Morpho, or how you can find out more about his other projects, make sure to check out the show notes, where I will be listing all of the best ways to do so. Hamilton is dedicated and devoted to his work, and I stand behind him and his mission 110%, and am beyond excited for all of you to experience his magic, as I truly feel it is amazing what he is doing in the world, in a time where I feel it is needed more than ever. Hamilton, thank you so much for the incredible conversation we shared today, for being a leading voice in the medicine space that is helping ensure people are being led in a safe container, and for being such a source of inspiration in my life. And until next time, my brother, journey well, be well, and much love over to you. Namaste. Namaste. What is up, everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show, and I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now, you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded webpage, professionally edit our program video content, custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, .com, and book your complimentary call today. I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever.